Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast, brought to you by Advisorpedia. In this series, we interview innovators from across the financial services industry to help you understand who they are, what they do, and why that matters to you and your clients. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we welcome Anastasia Amoroso, who is the Managing Director and Chief Investment Strategist at iCapital a company on a mission to power the world's alternative investment marketplace. In this episode, the focus is on the 2024 Federal Reserve rate cuts as Anastasia aims to provide clarity on their potential impacts in the middle of numerous circulating questions. Welcome, Anastasia. Hi, Doug. Good to see you. It's your first time with us. So could you just introduce yourself, tell us about your journey to becoming iCapital's chief investment strategist? Sure. Uh, well, it's uh, it's great to be joining you for the first time. And um, yes, I joined iCapital almost three years ago, coming from JP Morgan prior to that. And in my role now at iCapital, as you mentioned, we focus a lot on helping clients navigate the world of alternative investments. And in my particular role as the chief investment strategist, it's really helping clients understand what does the macro environment look like and what does this mean in terms of allocating to alternatives? Um, is now the right time to be thinking about private equity or real estate or venture uh, or anything else? And also, you know, more strategically, how do alternatives fit into your portfolio to complement public markets as well? And when I think about my journey to iCapital, which is obviously very much focused on alternatives, you know, when I was at JP Morgan, in the last few years, as I was working with uh, clients, more and more of them would come to us and say, well, Tell us where the innovation is happening. Is it, you know, cybersecurity? Is it data privacy? Is it artificial intelligence? Is gene therapy something else? And then tell me how can I invest in that in private markets? So I've sensed a lot of ultra high network client interest in allocating to private markets. And so that's why it really made sense as a transition uh, to iCapital to help bring private markets to more and more clients. Super. The Fed held interest rates in January. Did that surprise you? And what conditions do you feel need to exist for the Fed to cut rates? And do you expect that to happen at a specific time? There's a lot there. Well, the fact that the Fed didn't cut rates in January, of course, did not surprise me or uh, most people. But I guess what did surprise me a little bit is that there was such a strong pushback for cutting rates in March. And the reason why it surprised me is because at the December meeting, Fed Chair Powell was really focused on the progress that we're making on inflation, and inflation really started to trend down towards the 2% range. And when I think about inflation and one particular metric, like the core PCE inflation, uh, that is now sitting at 2.9% and is expected to decline to 2.6% by the end of the first quarter. So that was sort of the goalpost before, that as long as inflation continues to trend down, and by the way, 2.6% sounds pretty close to do, and certainly in that 2% range, you know, so the fact that inflation is trending down, but the Fed chair pushed back on March, perhaps that did surprise me, because the longer they hold rates at this 5.5% level, the broader the gap gets between that level of rates and that level of inflation, and therefore, the higher the real rates in the economy uh, get. And I thought that maybe that's something that the Fed wants to push back against. 
So having said that, I know the markets have largely ruled out March, but the reality is there's still a several inflation reports to get through before the Fed gets together again at the end of March. And so I still don't completely rule it out that what Fed Chair Powell has described as enough confidence, greater confidence uh, in inflation declining to 2%, who knows? They might still get that um, by March. But even if it's not March, I do think that as we progress through the year, March, May, June, it's going to become increasingly difficult for the Fed to say they don't have enough confidence where we have month after month of inflation prints in the 2% range. So it's not March. If it's not March, I, I think between May and June is certainly when we'll see the first rate cut. So when they do, and if they do, what's your take on how that's going to affect the markets? Well, the markets historically tended to price in the first rate cut. And when I looked historically over the last number of easing cycles, and specifically markets leading up to the first rate cut, on average, the markets advanced by 9% leading up to that cut. And so I think that's partially why stocks have been relatively uh, well-behaved here and moving higher is because we've already partially been pricing in that this is the Fed ha that has moved away from a tightening bias to an easing bias, and they should deliver a rate cut fairly soon. So that's the first thing to note. Then the, the next question is, what happens to the markets after the first rate cut? And that historically depended on whether we ended up with a 2001 or 2007 type of a scenario where we had big systematic issues in the economy and ultimately recession, or was it a 1995 type of a scenario where it was a cut that refreshed the economic cycle and therefore the markets were able to rally? So I tend to be in the latter camp, and I do think that if the Fed cuts rates while the economy is still um, you know, running at about 2% or maybe a little bit less, that should be a positive scenario for stocks. So I think we can price in the first rate cut leading up to it, but I do think there's likely to be more upside after that as well. Are you surprised that the economy is this strong right now and it's not getting the press that it deserves for being as strong as it is? Yeah, about a year ago, we wrote a piece um, that we published and entitled it Why the U.S. Economy Can Function with 5% Rates. And of course, the big reason for that is that the U.S. consumer can actually function with 5% rates. And of course, we know that for anybody who wanted to buy a house, that's been a very challenging thing to do given, you know, a very high mortgage rate. But if you are a U.S. consumer, if you own a house, um, if you, or maybe you're renting and you know, maybe you have a little bit of credit card debt, but not too much. You've actually not been all that adversely impacted. And the reason I say that is because in Europe, for instance, 50% or so of mortgages are floating rate. So the payments have been resetting higher every month. That's not been the case in the United States, where only 5% of mortgages are floating rate. So for most of us, while we can't, we couldn't afford really to buy a new house at this level of rate, for most of us, we have been able to continue to make our fixed uh, mortgage payment. So th the other reason of why the consumer has been able to withstand that is because we have parked a, a tremendous amount of cash on the sidelines that was earning nothing. Uh, but as rates moved from zero to 5%, the consumer started earning something. And in fact, that amounted to pretty significant amounts of uh, income from interest that we haven't had before. So you couple those two things together, which is low floating rate exposure of the consumer and actually a benefit on the asset side of the balance sheet from rising rates, 
That's why, for the most part, the consumer has been able to withstand that. What are the potential stress points in the markets that you're keeping an eye on right now? Well, if we're wrong in our conviction that the Fed is going to cut interest rates, then you do have to worry about the wall of maturities that have to be refinanced at a higher rate. And what really got hurt last year is, as I mentioned, anything that had a floating rate coupon that had to reset and whether it's consumers or companies that had to pay that higher interest rate, that certainly hurt. But again, that's not the largest part of the U.S. economy. But when I think about the wall of maturities that we're seeing this year and next year, it's certainly in commercial real estate. And something close to 10% of maturities, um, 10% of commercial real estate loans outstanding will have to be refinanced refinance this year and next. So that's issue number one. Will they be successful at rolling over that debt if rates remain at five and a half percent? You know, the second part, and of course, this is a big one, which is the U.S. government debt. For many years, I don't think we've had to worry about the ability to pay interest on the U.S. government debt. But as the debt to GDP levels increased, and as interest rates were no longer zero, but five and a half percent, that's a whole lot of additional debt service that the U.S. government now has to pay. Now, in their forecast, they do model rates going down to 3.8%. And still, by the way, uh, debt service goes up. But if rates certainly stay around these levels, I think some of those forecasts will be uh, quite a bit worse. So those are the risks. I'm not saying that we can't manage them. I think we can. But this is something that the market watchers are certainly focused on. What would you say your top investment ideas are for this year? So there's a number of investment opportunities, I would say, across the spectrum. And actually, the really high level point here is I do think there's a broader opportunity set uh, across sectors, across asset classes, and certainly across alternative that we've seen in the last couple of years. And again, I say that because of the Fed lowers interest rates and so does other central banks that a lot of companies that you know maybe uh, were hurt by lack of risk-taking appetite or were hurt by higher cost of leverage, a lot of those companies have a chance. Also, if the Fed is cutting interest rates and yields are declining across the curve, that's a more constructive environment for fixed income. So that's the backdrop. But when I think about maybe uh, one or two or three top ideas, I would say private equity uh, screens as one of the uh, good opportunities today because while valuations in the public markets have actually moved higher last year, valuations in the private markets took a step lower. And so when I think about what is a great time to be allocating to private equity is in those downturn year vintages when those valuations are resetting. And that's exactly what we've been seeing. So I like that opportunity kind of in the growth bucket of your investment portfolio. For the income bucket, I would think about private credit. And private credit, as the name implies, is private. It's not publicly traded. It's typically issued to smaller companies, but it's not always the case. But the beauty of private credit today is that the yields are quite high relative to cash and certainly relative to inflation. We're looking at coupons and yields getting close to 12%. And of course, that's because of where the rates are today and the spread that you earn on top of that. So in an environment where rates are 5.5%, Inflation is, you know, just a little bit shy of three, getting paid close to 12% certainly screens as very attractive. And I'd round this out and I kind of go back to the growth side of the equation. And I would say venture. 
you know, venture capital has gone through even a more meaningful correction than, than private equity. That's especially true for late stage venture. But when I think about the environment today and what is, what is the market excited about? It's excited about innovation, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's uh, various decarbonization technologies, whether it's uh, healthcare innovation. That's what's really historically driven a lot of market performance. And so while valuations have corrected in venture, innovation is certainly alive and well. And some of those venture capital companies are backing what I would venture, I guess, will be the future leaders in uh, a lot of the verticals that I mentioned. So I also like stepping into some of those uh, uh, venture capital funds as well. Anastasia, that was great. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Doug. Great to be with you. To learn more about iCapital, please visit iCapital.com. Please follow us for timely updates on X, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everyone at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smallin, our engineer, Tori Miller, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Hyken.